This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Quick announcement before the show starts. I know a lot of you have thought about starting your own business, and a good amount of you, I'm sure, have thought about starting an online business. Maybe monetizing a blog or a podcast. Maybe a YouTube channel sharing things that you know and that you love, and being able to make some money from that. A lot of you know I run a marketing company. We specialize in helping people tell their own story online and making money online, whether that's through an online store, selling goods and services, or through monetizing their own media, whether that be through YouTube or podcasts or blogs. Here's the thing. I know how big of a tool this is in freeing you up to do more on your homesteads. And that's why I want to help. Having an online business allows me to work from home, which means more time with the livestock and in the garden. Imagine what you would be able to do if you had more time at home to work on your homestead. Imagine how much further you could progress your homesteads. I want to help. I'm hosting a totally free webinar. There's no catch. All you need to do is head on over to thisishomesteady.com, scroll down and click on this episode, Rotational Grazing. You'll see a button in that episode. Get your free ticket to our webinar. Click the button, fill out the form, and you'll be invited. If you aren't able to make the webinar, don't worry. Everybody who signs up for it will receive a link to watch the video again and again afterward. I know how big having an online business is in helping you make your homestead dreams a reality, and I hope to see you at the webinar. Now let's get started with the show. We've all seen this play out before. I used to see it a lot of times as a kid watching National Geographic with my family. It usually all starts with a British narrator. The lions have been waiting for this moment. They're hungry for battle. Then come the drums. The zebra herd noticed that somewhere lurking nearby is a hungry pack of lions. At first, the lions are just gathering intel, slowly watching the herd. 
The zebras grew closer and closer together for protection, while the lions continued to stalk. They're looking for a younger zebra, or maybe an injured one, even a sickly one. One that they can separate, encircle, and kill. The head huntress breaks out into a sprint. She lunges on top of her target, throwing her powerful jaws around its neck. Then another lion comes up from behind, pouncing on top of the victim. Then a third and a fourth. Eventually, the zebra can fight no more. The lions will eat tonight. I have watched this circle of life play out from the comfort of our recliners. Back when Nat Geo used to actually play shows about animals and not just reality TV and homesteaders in Alaska. But Alan Savory, he grew up watching this in real life, like there in Africa himself, alongside his father, who was surveying what is now a national park, Zimbabwe's wanky game reserve. Young Alan was his father's assistant on the weekends, spending the time journeying through the bush, laying out a future road, one that Alan's father wanted to make sure would be scenic. And as Alan put it, my father made it impossible not to love the bush. And by the time I left high school, I could not imagine spending my life anywhere else. And he didn't. He went to university and studied ecology. And as soon as he left, he got right to work on saving the land that he loved so much. You see, he noticed a problem, a problem that's widespread throughout really our whole earth, desertification. Alan Savory describes this problem as a perfect storm. You see, there's a rising number of people every day. We've surpassed 7 billion human beings on the planet. And at the same time, the amount of land that we can use to raise crops well, that's shrinking. The deserts on the earth are growing bigger and bigger and bigger, which means less food for the growing population. But don't worry, Alan Savory, he has an idea of how we can change this using our very own farms and homesteads. We're gonna talk about that today on this episode of Homesteading. crazy place, but you and me, we can each make it a little better. We can live a more sustainable life. We can become more self-sufficient. We can get more connected with the planet around us. And we can do all of this together. So everybody, cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homesteading. Hi guys, I'm Aust and I'm Homesteady. I don't think I say that enough in the show. Some people don't know who's talking to them. I'm going to start trying to add that at the beginning of each episode. Now, let's talk about the bigger problem. Not whether or not you know my name. Whether or not there's enough water and food to feed all the humans who exist and who will exist in the upcoming decades. 
This lack of food for the growing population really comes down to the lack of water because that's what turns land into desert, a lack of water. And the scariest thing that Alan Savory talks about is the fact that if we think about history past, anytime there's a lack of a certain resource, there's war, there's fighting, you don't have to look far back in time to see this. Wars are being fought over oil. But if you do look back in history, you learn that wars were fought over things like salt, something that we can go to any diner and tear open a little packet and pour onto our eggs. People killed each other for salt. Imagine what the wars would be like over water. This is one of the reasons Alan Savory thinks it's so important to stop desertification. When we think of a desert, we think of an area that lacks pools of water, right? Lakes and streams. But the most interesting thing is that the true problem with the desert is not that there's no lakes or streams. It's that the soil can no longer store the amount of water that it should be. I didn't know this until recently. I was reading a book by Alan Savory, and it talked about how our soil is the largest reservoir of fresh, usable, non-frozen water on the planet. So the amount of water in soil is greater than all the dams and all the rivers and all the lakes combined. So the land that has succumbed to desertification, sure, it doesn't have any streams or lakes or rivers, but the soil itself can no longer hold water, which means plant life cannot grow, which means no food can be grown, no animals kept alive, and our growing population has less and less of that valuable resource, which is water. Of course, there's lots of different theories as to why desertification happens. But his years in the bush, Alan noticed some trends. First, a lot of people blamed livestock for desertification. Common belief was that overgrazing would cause a lack of vegetation. And when there's a lack of vegetation, just bare earth, water has a tendency to run off of that bare earth instead of go down into it. But Alan noticed that this was only true in areas that were overgrazed due to humans improperly managing their herds. He noticed the opposite was true in areas where we found wild herds. Let's go back to the zebras. The lions have been waiting for this moment. They're hungry. Alan observed firsthand what a natural herd of zebras wildebeest, or over here in the Americas, elk or bison would be facing. And that's these hungry predators. And these groups of prey animals would move in large concentrated groups to one area, kept bunched tightly by these predators. And then they would move. The predators would be close behind. And the predator-prey relationship would move these herds of zebra or wildebeest or whatever, the big groups of prey animals, tightly compacted in a large group from one area to the next. 
just naturally because they were running from the predator species. And because the predators were all around them, they would stay in a close, tight group. And Alan noticed the difference in the land after these herds of prey animals left. I'm going to quote Alan here. He says, Slowly, the murky picture became clearer. The healthiest land I had seen was always associated with the largest herds. Thousands of buffalo, elephants, and other grazing animals, accompanied by large packs of lions, wild dogs, and hyenas that kept them concentrated and needing to move off ground, fouled by their own dung and urine. That movement minimized the overgrazing of plants. So he saw this relationship. These herds of prey species would go into an area and they would eat lots of the vegetation there. They would be tightly compacted in this area and so all of their urine and all of their dung, all those nutrients would be deposited. Lots of vegetation would be trampled but not killed and they wouldn't be allowed to overgraze because they'd have to move on. The predators would be close behind them, keeping them tightly compacted and moving forward. This both fertilized the soil and without it being overgrazed. And it never failed. As the prey species would move on, the vegetation behind it would spring back. Beautiful, rich, the complete opposite of what you picture a desert. There's a lot more to it than that, but that was the basic thing that Alan Savory observed. And he saw how it worked in the natural world. We just needed to mimic that with our own farms. This is a serious problem today, because if we think about how agriculture here in the United States works, the bulk of our livestock are not being raised in rotational grazing methods. Again, quoting Alan, In the United States, millions of cattle are fed grain in a fossil fuel-based factory production system, while so much of the land in the western half of the country is desertifying due to too few livestock. Should this continue, it won't be long before American ranching culture will be remembered only at cowboy poetry festivals and in Hollywood films. You remember that story called The Gift, where the husband sells his watch to buy his wife a beautiful set of combs, and the wife cuts her hair off so that she can buy her husband a nice chain for his watch? I always thought the husband got the more bum end of the deal. The wife's hair would grow back. (laughs) Anyway, not really the point. What's going on in the United States right now is kind of a great example of that, The Gift, that story. On the one hand, we have deserts that are growing and growing because they don't have enough natural animals out there, predator, prey species, moving around, roaming, depositing their manure and their urine, eating the vegetation, and then moving on. And at the same time, we have confined animal feedlots where millions of livestock are, livestock that could be working this ground, but instead they're confined in one spot, not moving, 
and their urine and their dung, which would be so valuable out in the deserts, it's concentrated to a toxic level, having to be treated like radioactive waste. Both of these things could fill the need of the other, but they're not. Like having a beautiful set of golden combs and you're bald. I don't know if the woman was bald. Probably just like a pixie cut. Which is actually pretty cute. So again, I think the guy got the worst end of the deal of that story. I look at it this way. You either believe one of two things. You either believe that the world was created or that the world was a result of a cosmic explosion one way or another and everything evolved. And either of those two stories, whichever one you choose to believe, the end of that belief is that the animals that we have here, the predator-prey relationship of all these species, either evolved to work the land in a symbiotic relationship or they were created to care for the land in a symbiotic relationship. Either way, it seems to me, no matter what your beliefs are, this is how the world is supposed to work. And unfortunately, nowadays, in most places, agriculture is not filling this need. And sadly, the natural world has been so influenced by humans and our growth that there's not enough wild animals to fill this need. And thus, we look at the map of the entire planet, and the deserts are growing. For so many years, people thought one of the main reasons for desertification was because of overgrazing by livestock. So you can see why a lot of people were surprised when they started to hear about Alan Savory and his solution. You see, Alan was telling people not only were livestock the answer to fixing this problem, but more livestock, doubling the size of herds. Allen proposed that farmers could actually double the size of their herds within the same amount of space, and that would be better for the land, it would be better for the animals, they would actually be healthier animals, they would be more productive, and that farmer could make more money with less, which is obviously good news for anyone who's farming or homesteading. I know I like the sound of that. It seemed too good to be true. Rhodesia's Minister of Agriculture, George Rudland, did not believe Allen. He couldn't believe that doubling the amount of animals within the same amount of space would be good for the land. It seemed counterintuitive. And so he placed a bet with Allen. Prove it or lose it. Allen took him up on this bet. He said if he was proved wrong, he would close down his consulting business and stop. But if you prove that it worked, George Rutland agreed to instruct agricultural colleges and government advisory services to promote Allen's technique. The bet was placed, and now it was time for the experiment. Allen selected a paddock and water arrangements for two planned grazing areas and immediately doubled the animal numbers within those areas. They also kept two government control areas, stocked with the same number of livestock at the same normal low levels, and let them graze continuously 
as they had been doing. So how did it turn out? There was a bit of an argument back and forth as to who was really right. And if you want to read all the details, go and check out the book, The Grazing Revolution by Alan Savory. You can find out all the details to the experiment and what they argued back and forth. But I thought this was the best way to sum it all up. The agricultural economist who was monitoring the results of the trial was so convinced by the outcome that he left his university position to join Allen's consulting business, eventually forming his own company called Grazing for Profit. The results were so clear to this agricultural economist. It'd be like, imagine Accountant Mike watching us do something on the farm that worked out so well, both for the planet itself and for our financial bottom line. Picture Accountant Mike getting so excited, he leaves his accounting firm, he moves out of the city, and he buys a bunch of goats. Yeah, I know. Never going to happen. But it was certainly a thumbs up for Alan Savory. It's been decades since Alan Savory began performing these trials. And now he has almost a lifetime supply of documented case studies to prove that this method can really work. A farmer can use livestock to better the quality of his own land. He can run more livestock on less land with rotational grazing, and he can increase his profits. This is all good news for people like us who have small farms and homesteads and want to have some animals out back and save a little money doing it. Although we may not live in desert land, we might not be turning land back from being a desert into a beautiful, rich, abundant jungle, we can better the quality of our own homestead properties. Alan Savory in his book talks about an example of African farmers who were using movable kraals. Here's a quote from the book. Movable kraals are leading to great increases in maize yields, two times higher, and in some cases as much as five, when they're placed on community crop fields prior to planting. There's no need to plow the fields, nor cart manure, nor purchase fertilizers. So picture getting a bunch of cows within this movable fencing. These farmers are moving these cows right onto their fields where they normally would have to go and plow and then bring manure and fertilizers. Instead of doing all that work, they just bring the cows, let them heavily graze, till the soil for them, deposit their manure and their urine. And then they move them out of the way and they plant there. And they're seeing yields two to five times better than what they could expect in the previous methods, which involved more work and more inputs. We can do this. We can do this on our own homesteads. But I'll be honest, it's not as simple as just setting up permanent fencing and leaving your animals in that permanent fencing their entire life. It does take a system. In fact, Alan Savory even admits this himself. He talks about how important it is to have a good system. He says, and this is another quote from his book, 
In any business, management is greatly facilitated when you establish procedures or management systems for handling the routine tasks that generally have predictable outcomes, tracking inventory, managing payables and receivables, maintaining equipment, etc. However, because markets, material costs, customers, clients, regulations, and taxation are constantly in flux, a business will fail if it sticks to any prescribed system for the overall management of the business, no matter how flexible. Smart business leaders know this, and it's why they opt instead for continual planning and replanning to manage their companies effectively. Managing livestock grazing is no different. It must account for the complexity inherent in nature, as well as the social and economic factors that might influence outcomes. Okay, so that's a lot of big business talk, but what he's saying is, no matter what you do, whether you're flipping burgers at McDonald's or moving around your small herd of sheep and goats that you sell for meat at your local farmer's market, you need to be managing them. You have to have a system. We're gonna help you do that when we come back from a word from our sponsors. your guys gardens are doing well this year i'm pretty excited because our raised beds are looking beautiful and our garden in the back is too uh, they still need a lot of work and they're not as big as i planned for the year but they're looking good anyway speaking of gardening it's time for the grow journey gardening tip of the month and we have a great tip for you this month this month's gardening tip is about planting seeds for your fall harvest you might not feel or taste like it at the moment but for most areas of the country July through September are the months you'll want to start your fall winter seeds indoors to transplant in your garden six to eight weeks later. Gardening isn't just a warm weather activity. In fact, most gardeners we know who try cool weather gardening actually end up liking it better than summer gardening. There's far less weeds, pests, and soil pathogens and disease during the cool months. Plus cooler soil temperatures mean less water evaporation so your irrigation needs are minimized. Oh, and the most important reason of all, cool season crops are delicious. So when should you start your fall seeds? Well, that answer depends on your agricultural zone and the days to maturity. So once you find this info, count back from your first frost date based on your days to maturity to determine when you should start your seeds. And if that's too complicated, they have a great downloadable fall seed starting calendar at the Grow Journey blog. So head on over to www.growjourney.com and you can download that totally free. Sign up for the email list where you can get the gardening tip of the month. Become a better gardener with Grow Journey and start your 30 day free trial of their organic seed subscription service. Get organic seeds shipped to your door with all the instructions and education that you need to start the seeds the right way and plant a great garden this year. I'm really excited because our garden's turning out to be better than expected, and I hope yours is too. Check out growjourney.com to learn more.
So I know from firsthand experience that rotational grazing is not as simple as just opening up the gates and letting your animals go. Uh, it's not that easy. And for years here on our homestead, we did basically two kinds of pasturing our animals. Uh, we have a few different paddocks and we would rotate the paddocks, but the animals had free reign of those paddocks and every year they would pretty much eat the grass right down to the dirt and destroy it and I'd have to go and reseed it and there were definitely erosion issues and I'm sure we were losing nutrients and all that bad stuff. So that wasn't great. Uh, and then we've also free ranged our animals where we just open up the gates and let them go. But again, we've started to experience problems with that. For one, this year we had issues with poisonous plants on our property and uh, that wound up in the loss of a few animals, which was awful. Uh, and then we also have the issue of being close to a road and just free ranging animals means sometimes they wind up finding the road, which also was unacceptable. So back in August, if you remember the episode, we talked about uh, whether or not I should buy We're sheep. trying to figure out if we should do something new on the farm. And so I decided before we got too deep into the idea, I'd have Account Mike over for drinks and we'd figure out if this was in fact a good idea. And then if it was, I would do it. My lawnmower had broken down and I was trying to decide whether or not I was going to buy a lawnmower or if I was going to bring sheep onto the property to start mowing my lawn for me. Um, sheep, if I put them in electric movable fencing. Now, I've been down this road before, so I'm going to use a very... Specially chosen word here. Should eat the grass <laughs> to the point where I really wouldn't have to mow. Understand I probably will still need to get a push. And me and Accountant Mike went through it all. We did the big breakdown and we concluded. How long does it take to move the fence? You'll I'm sure that'll fence. be an hour once okay, a week. Okay, so you'll spend an hour once a week. Yeah. So here's the thing. I don't know if you'll really save all that much time. Not going to save time. But I will have lamb. And because of the fact that you really obviously like lamb, I love lamb. You are thumbs upping this Dude, yeah. all the way home. I'm gonna thumbs up this just because it means you will have lamb. <laughs> Even if it was a thumbs down, without you me would having, lie to me <laughs> I would selfishly in front of ten thousand listeners. Sure, sheep is a thumbs up. Why not? So, guys, that means I am literally for the first time ever on the show going to take Accountant Mike's advice. Whoa! And I'm gonna go get sheep. So, bro, I got to go. I got to right. get the trailer ready. Okay, see ya. I'm going to head out to Pennsylvania. I'm going to get three sheep. And uh, come slaughter day, I'm going to give you a call. That sounds good. <laughs> you, I will be there for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so, I did. I went and got two sheep. One of them was a pregnant ewe. And uh, she gave birth. We were hoping for multiples. She gave birth to one ram. So, we're fattening him up right now. And uh, y'all know what's going to happen later in the fall. If, by the way, if you haven't listened to that episode, it's called To Sheep or Not To Sheep. And honestly, I think that is one of the funniest episodes of this show that we've ever done. A lot of good jokes. I know you'll enjoy that episode. So now on our farm, we have three sheep and we have four goats. So a total of seven ruminants. And we have been using them to do the maintenance on the property. At first, I tried to get by without using electric fencing. I tried to get by by just opening up the gates and letting everybody go. And at the beginning of the spring, as the grass started to grow, I would open the gates and let everybody go. I realized pretty quickly this was not going to be an effective way to control the grass and control the weeds and such. 
Because what happens is the animals run off and they find all the things they like to eat and they ignore other types of grass and weeds. And so you get some parts of your lawn mowed real down low and other parts start getting really, really high. I don't mind a messy looking lawn. It doesn't have to look like a perfect golf course, obviously, otherwise I probably wouldn't have goats and sheep doing the lawn work. But this was not good because some of the grass got so high that we started having ticks and bugs and it was not nice for the kids to play in. It just did not work. I decided it was time to make the jump over into the world of electric fencing. I did this a little bit reluctantly. I did not want to bring electric fencing out of the property because I knew it would be just one more job for me to do every week. And to be honest, I had a bit of a fear of the electric fence itself. If you want to know why, go and listen to that episode, To Sheep or Not to Sheep. Accountant Mike and I share a story about when Accountant Mike tricked me with an electric fence while we were away on vacation one time. And things didn't turn out so well. Think little Timmy from Jurassic Park. Timmy. Let's go now! Timmy, can I have to jump? I'm going to count to three. One. Two. I don't think I can even count how many times we've referenced that movie in this podcast. As you can all tell now, it was pretty formative in my life. Anyways, back to the long grass and the bugs. Kendra gave me an ultimatum. Kendra said, listen, the kids need to be able to play in the lawn. If we don't get this lawn mowed with the animals, I'm buying a lawn mower. And you all know how I feel about lawn mowers and mowing the lawn. Anything but a lawn mower. Anything even electrifying our fence. So I overcame my fears of the electric fence and I called up Premier One. Hello, Austin. Hi there, Stephanie. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? This is Stephanie from Premier One. And she can take all the credit for getting me to finally make the step into the world of electric. I was afraid of it. I didn't understand it. But after talking with Stephanie, she made it all seem so simple and so doable. They should have like a help hotline over at Premier One. If you or a farmer that you love has had a bad childhood experience with electric fencing. Call Premier One. The more you know. Okay, so maybe that's not a great idea. But Stephanie made this seem so doable, I could not try it. And the reason why is because Stephanie uses movable electric fencing herself. You see, she, like most of the Premier One employees, owns livestock. Yeah, I grew up in Ohio, and I grew up on a Polt Hereford farm. Uh, it was mostly my dad and I, and so we had 60-odd cows. Eventually, Stephanie leaves the farm and heads off to college. Later on, she met her husband, who also grew up on a farm and had headed off to college himself. You know, we started the whole dating thing, and long story short, we went to Texas for five years on a Hereford operation down there, and, and then um, we ended up coming back to the family farm here. His dad was killed and was killed in a combine accident oh. uh, in 90 and I was pregnant with our first son oh, down man. in Texas. So 
we we made sure he was born and good and healthy and then we then we came back certainly a lot of negatives there but there were a lot of positives with with that as well we came back to the farm and uh, bought that out from his mom and his siblings and Stephanie and Lyle decided they were going to make a go of it try to become full-time farmers live the farm dream but not everything worked out according to their hopes well, you know, you, you have big dreams of what you want to do and and the things you... We, we started off with, with commercial hogs and the cattle, and that's, you know, that's just what you do in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And with the um, hog crash there of 98, when they went to like 29 cents... Oh, man. We... We said, okay, we can, we either need to invest in new facilities to become somewhat efficient, um, or, you know, Lyle, I had already been working here, um, or Lyle was going to have to go do the, you know, the off-farm job, and, and that, you know, it was, it was a saving grace. Despite the dream of being farmers full-time, they had to face reality, and so they both took off-farm jobs. Something that a lot of us do to support our love of farming. It, it, it's a struggle for time management, um, oh. but but again, it's those things that you learn how to cope with and how to balance and and how to get through it and how not to be mad at everybody and <laughs> you just do it. So you and your husband are running a hundred head of cattle. On the weekends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at night. And at night. We have a lot of lights at our place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. I mean, I have, yeah. uh, for a long time, I had a full-time job when we started this, and I thought having 10 pigs was a lot. <laughs> so no doubt some of how you're able to do this is using your equipment smart. What kind of, on your farm, what, what equipment are you using that helps make this possible? Yeah, so we so we utilize um, a fair bit of electric fence, um, and of course all the different types of energizers, anywhere from the the plug-in to the solar units. A lot of permanent high tensile, uh, smooth wire, and then we subdivide with. Stephanie explained that her farm has a hard perimeter fence of high tensile wire, but then they subdivide that farm up with movable electric. And, and those change, those interior subdivisions change based on the, the time of the year, the weather, um, and what, you know, some years we might have, you know, five uh, herbal prospects that we're keeping. Some years we might not have any. This is one of the biggest benefits that I've learned in this last year using movable electric. It allows you to adapt to all the different needs, and those different needs can literally be daily. You can wind up with a sick animal that you need to separate, or maybe your females go into heat and you need to separate the males or put some together. Whatever your needs are, you can adapt quickly and efficiently using movable electric. Movable electric fencing and netting, uh, these are not new to probably many of you listeners, Uh, but it is a newer way of running farms to especially the United States. Uh, In fact, 
the owner of Premier One, the founder, Stan Potratz, he learned about this technique while he spent time over in England. He had grown up on the farm that, that the business is on. And he went away to school, to university, ended up in England managing a college farm uh, over there. And then he came back here to the Midwest to start raising sheep. And he could not find the types of products that he had used when he was over in the UK and had used successfully. So he started bringing in some of those products to utilize here for farm. And they were fairly unique uh, for the United States and people started seeing those products and said, hey, when you get one of those for you, would you get one for me? 40 years later, that's what we're still doing. And so the business that started off as a farm turned into a farming and livestock equipment business. But of course, there's still a farm. Premier is a uh, sheep farm primarily. We have close to a thousand ewes here. Um, there are three farms that, that utilize rotational grazing and uh, we sell the lambs off the farm. And that that has always been Dan Potratz is, he's the owner of Premier. He's always loved raising sheep, and so that's his hobby, if you will. Oh, I love that. Um, that's what he likes to do. He, you know, he doesn't have uh, an airplane or doesn't have <laughs> you know, a race car or anything like that. That's what he does. So, modified and grew along the way, but, but certainly the one tenant that always held true was that it would be proven and tested products and not to be afraid to tell people what works and what doesn't work. And that's just what Stephanie did. She explained to me what works and what doesn't work for what in thorough detail. And we'll talk about everything you're going to need for a movable pastured poultry or pastured goat and sheep, any kind of livestock operation when we get back from a very quick word from our partners, Premier One. I just wanted to let you guys know that this episode of Home Study is brought to you by the very company that we're talking about today, Premier One. We are proud to let you guys know that Premier One is our partners because Premier One makes quality equipment. We're hearing about their equipment today, so I'm not gonna talk about it in this commercial break. What I am gonna tell you is how they became our partners. I reached out to Premier One because I love their stuff. I called them up on the phone. I said, I want to talk to you guys about sharing you with my audience because I think you have the best stuff out there. And I want my audience, who I care about a lot, to know about the quality stuff that is available. There's so much junk and garbage and cheap stuff at the big box stores. I would have been more than happy to tell you about them either way. Premier One decided to partner with us helping to bring you the show that you guys love. Meanwhile, I get a chance to tell you how great of a company they are and how great their stuff is. 
We're going to learn all about what equipment you can use. So now let's get back to the show and let Stephanie explain to us what is the right equipment that you can buy from any company for doing rotational grazing. Of course, I suggest you go with Premier One. Switching over from just one hard paddock where, you know, the animals turn it into the planet Mars and there's no grass to be seen. Um, what kind of time and effort are you putting into a rotational? And and we could talk on a very simple, you know, one homesteader with, you know, a couple sheep or a couple goats, a couple chickens. What kind of time element should this person expect? Time is probably the key factor. So if you have more time than you do maybe uh, the financial that you want to put in to the material. Um, you could uh, have less fencing and move your fencing more often. But if you work off the farm and you're doing this on nights and weekends, then you may need to have a different set of fencing requirements that someone that can put a little more time to it. So Stephanie makes this pretty simple. You either have more time or you have more money. If you have more time, buy less fencing and move it more. If you have less time, buy a little bit more fencing and move it less. If someone is rotationally grazing um, any species, whether it be chickens or sheep or goats or cattle, there are fences like netting that cost a little more to buy them, but they will save you an awful lot of time as far as when you're going to move the animals and move the fences. And you could choose to move both the animals and the fences, or you could choose to have all your fence already put up and then just move your animals through the paddock as you go. So I encourage people before they buy anything to go out to sit in a lawn chair if they want to, and with a pretty sunset, sit in the middle of where you think you want to put this enclosure or enclosures up, and mentally go through how the animals are gonna move. So this is a really fun exercise to do if you don't have your animals yet, uh, or if you do, and you're planning on making this jump into rotational grazing. Take a beautiful summer afternoon, go outside, and just picture it. Maybe take a notepad and paper. See your animals out in that field. Enjoy what it feels like watching your herd move through fresh green grass. And then start to think about the logistics. How you're gonna get the animals to the spot and how you're gonna get them out of the spot if you would need to. What are you gonna do for your water supply? What are you gonna do for a sick animal? If you have them out in the middle of a five acre field and you're rotating through this five acre field in, in little 100 foot square patches, what do you do for the sick one that you need to get back to the barn to treat? People just don't always think through all those little details. Um, think about where your access points are gonna be, where your gates are. What happens if it rains five inches overnight? What happens if we don't get any rain? What does that do to my forage level? We get a lot of people that call in and say, okay, I need the fence. My animals are coming tomorrow. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All the time. All the time. 
so just a little bit of prep work and a little bit of um, mentally um, working through some of the issues will will do a lot for making something successful. So Stephanie really encourages you to take some time and think about all the factors that are going to apply. And this is going to be different for everyone. So consider your own lifestyle and how this setup, this movable rotational grazing will affect your lifestyle, your farm itself, just everything, the whole big picture. Take your time. Now, once you have that in mind, once you know how everything is going to work out, it's time to buy the equipment. So what equipment should you be looking at? There's nothing easier to use in the world of electric than the electric netting. It's essentially an electric fence that's already made up for you. You don't have to do different strands on different posts and attach all those pieces. It all is put together in one nice, easy-to-use roll. So for the average homesteader, Stephanie suggests going with an electric netting setup. And she explains all the pieces that you'll need for a good working electric netting setup to be a movable rotational grazing fence on your farm. You need the net of choice. There's lots of different options. That's a whole other conversation on the choice of net. But you basically need the net. You need some extra support posts at your ends, corners, and major directional changes. And then you need the energizer setup. So a rotational electric netting setup is made up of these three components your net your extra support posts and your energizer okay so i'm going to try to break this down real simple because honestly this is the stuff that always confused me i'm one of those guys who could not explain to you how electricity works at all so here we go you have your energizer unit, and that is made up of a solar cell, a battery, some wiring, and the case. The sun's rays bake down on that solar cell. The energy is then stored in a battery. The energizer uses that energy to send out a charge into your fence, and it does that through one wire that goes from your energizer to your electric fence. There's a second wire that leads out of your energizer down to a grounding rod. That's just a metal rod that's driven down into the ground. That way, that electric charge being sent out in your fence has somewhere to return to. It completes that loop and shocks whatever touches the fence in the process. The animal walking around on the ground with its hoofs in the dirt comes in contact with the fence. That charge that was sent from the energizer through that one alligator clamp runs from the fence through the animal's hoofs down it through the ground and completes the circuit back into the grounding rod. And in that second, the animal receives that feeling of a shock and it jumps back away from your fence and stays within the area that you want it to, making you a happy farmer with property that's being properly managed through manure and urine. It all comes back to the manure and the urine, at least in this episode. (music) 
So how much of all this equipment are you gonna need? What sizes? How much is it gonna cost? How much time will it take out of your life? Well, we have some answers. So our solar units all come with a wiring harness. And you turn on the energizer and you test it and you should be good to go. What is the size that, say, a homesteader with just a, a small flock of 10 or less animals, a person who's doing it nights and weekends, who doesn't want to have to move it once every, you know, every six hours, what would be your reference to that sort of person just getting into this? Yeah, I'd say like two to three rolls of nets would probably be a good starting point for them. I asked Stephanie to explain what a good setup for, say, a homesteader with a flock of chickens and a homesteader with maybe a flock of sheep and goats would look like. And she explained that generally with chickens, two rolls is good. That gives you about an 80 by 80 square. Uh, and if you move that, you know, once a week or depending on the season, you'd be okay uh, with a half jewel unit. And then for the sheep and the goats, she said generally a homesteader size flock usually she suggests one extra roll for the sheep and the goats. Uh, so here's how it all works out. For your chickens, your energizer kit with your tester and everything you're gonna need to hook it up to your fence, two rolls of the chicken fencing, which is a bit more money than the other fencing because there's a lot more material, and your extra support poles for your corners, right about $600. Now over on the sheep and goat side, the fencing is actually cheaper because there's less little squares. The squares are bigger in the goat fencing, so less material. However, you're gonna wanna add probably one extra roll to the mix. So the energizer kit, everything you're gonna need, plus the fencing and the extra support poles, again, right around $600. Now this is for a solar setup. If you have power nearby, you can save a little bit of money. So just for comparison, a half joule unit you could get for about a solar unit you could get for about 231 a plug-in is 140 so here's how this really starts to make a lot of sense if you think about it a small flock of sheep and goats you're going to be feeding hay every day just to give you an idea i have a flock of three sheep and four goats and they go through about a bale a day which costs me about 550 per bale so in 100 days, I have spent $550 on hay. For $600, I'm able to buy this setup that I put my goats and my sheep out. I don't have to give them any hay at all. Now remember, this only works during the spring, summer, and fall. But that one season, it will completely pay for itself. And for all the seasons after that that I'm using my movable fencing, I'm saving way more money than I ever spent on my movable fencing. Okay, saving money is a great thing, but time is important too. What is it gonna cost in time each week? Um, but gosh, I would say a half hour, 45 minutes. Pretty oh, simple. Great. I can confirm this. This interview took place a couple months back and I have been using the electric fence now for a few months on our farm. And you can see this on the YouTube channel. You can watch us setting it up for the first time. I have to say, it takes me a little bit longer than this, but there's a few reasons. If you had a wide open field and you were just using this fencing to divide up a wide open flat field, 
I could absolutely move my animals once a week and it would probably take me a half hour. Not too bad at all. I'm using this fencing on our homestead, which is built on a ridge. I'm using this to fence in weed areas and woods and overgrown areas. And it takes us probably about an hour and a half each week to move the fence, get it into position, find a place where there's sunlight. And remember, I'm still pretty new at this. I haven't perfected my system yet, so it is taking me a bit longer. An hour and a half to move your animals once a week. I'm not spending any money on hay, and I don't have to do any of the weed whacking or lawn care in any of these areas. So it's definitely a thumbs up on all those fronts. I know this world of movable electric can seem a little bit intimidating. I was there just a couple months ago, a little too scared to do it. But Premier One is really here to help you guys. That's one of the reasons we're so proud to have them as our partners. And not just to sell you product. Stephanie assured me, if you already have stuff and you're not sure how it works or you're having trouble with it, just give them a call. When I came and interviewed here at Premier many years ago, I interviewed with Stan and Jean, the owners, and, and I said, what happens if they already have components of a fence that they already have and that they can use? how do I handle that? And they kind of looked at me and and they said, well, tell them to use it. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if, if they call in and just want questions answered, we'll answer their questions. If they want to place an order, we'll place an order. If they want to talk about the Energizer that they've had for five years, we'll talk about that too. If they want to call, that's, that's why we're here. So if you need any help getting started with rotational grazing or improving your own system, go ahead and call up Premier One, and maybe you'll even get Stephanie on the phone. 800-282-6631 or visit our website at premieronesupplies.com. We'd be happy to answer any questions that folks might have. And they might wind up talking to you, right, Stephanie? They might wind up talking to me. See that? We'll, uh, we'll send it with we'll tell mask for Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> they also have a fantastic email newsletter, which one of the reasons I really want to suggest is it is not a sales letter. Join their email list. They send out a newsletter, which has good blog articles about rotational grazing, about managing your livestock. And Stephanie specifically said they make sure not to make it a sales letter. It's there to be helpful. We'll have a link to that on thisishomesteady.com, the blog post write-up. We'll share with you where you can sign up for the Premier One newsletter to receive all that helpful information and no pushy sales letters. Hi there, 
My name is Dorinda, and I am a homesteady pioneer. I live in Newburgh, New York. We live on just a little bit over an acre of land, and with the help of the Homesteady podcast, we are turning our yard into a wonderful farm. I'm out in the garden today, and starting on this, you know, it was pretty hot here in the Hudson Valley, thought now that it's starting to cool off, I should give my plants a little drink of water. So as I water the plants here in the garden, I look at my squash, it's coming up, my chard and my romaine lettuce. Oh, we had such a good harvest of that tonight for our dinner, along with some kale. My spinach, well, that bolted. You know, that's one thing about being a homesteady pioneer. You learn a little bit each season. Potatoes are looking fine. My peas and my tomatoes all have flowers. The beans are coming up, and I can't wait to see what this harvest will be. I couldn't do it without the Homesteady Podcast. Austin Accountant Mike, you keep me on track. And I'm learning, like I said, a little bit each and every day. So thank you so much. This is Dorinda. And I am homesteady. Another awesome shout out from one of our homesteady pioneers. We couldn't do it without you guys. If you love this show, if it's motivated you, if it's helped you, you can help us produce this show every month by becoming homesteady pioneer. And becoming homesteady pioneer is not just a handout. You actually get a lot back in return. For one, you get access to our Pioneers Only Library, where you will find the Pioneers Only episode of the show, Fencing 101. Me and Stephanie talked for an additional hour or so about electric netting and fencing and everything you could ever want to ask. All the questions that you might still have, the answers could be found over there. There's also a library full of other podcasts and videos from everything to raising animals to gardening, you name it. There's loads of information there. And now there's a new feature to the Homesteady Pioneer program. Every month we're going to be having a live episode of the show for Pioneers only. It'll be about a topic. It'll feature me, sometimes Accountant Mike, sometimes other special guests talking about a subject, and it'll be a Q&A. So you'll get to ask questions and learn all about different topics in the homesteading world. If you become a pioneer this month, you can join us for the special Pioneers Only Q&A webinar, How to Start a Farm with Very Little Money. Head on over to thisishomesteady.com, become a pioneer. It's only five bucks a month, and you will get access to all the bonus content and the live webinars with us. And speaking of webinars, don't forget the totally free webinar that we're having about starting your own online business. Click on this episode, click on the button to get your free ticket, and you'll get a seat at that webinar where we will be chatting about starting an online business. I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening, guys. We're getting back on our feet from having a baby and getting back on a regular production schedule. Thank you, as always, for supporting the show. Share it with a friend. And until next month, remember, the road is rocky. Make home steady. (laughs) 